If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hello, beautiful friend, and welcome back to In the Details. I'm your host, Karen Allen, and I'm really looking forward to today's conversation with Erica Rooney. She is an executive coach, culture consultant, and chief people officer. And more specifically, though, she is on a mission to help people break out of their sticky floors and bust through those glass ceilings to live a life filled with purpose, passion, and peace. You know I'm all about the three Ps. So let's dive right in. Erica, welcome. Hey, Karen. I'm so pumped to be here. Thank you. Oh, I'm happy to have you. This is such a timely conversation because I think the state of our world right now, especially, you know, coming out of a global pandemic that grounded us in a way that nobody wanted to actually gave us this time to evaluate our lives and evaluate the way we were spending our time and our energy. And even though a lot of people were calling it the great resignation, I feel like it was the great reset. Somebody else was calling it that too. And I'm like, no, I think people are just evaluating to reset their lives. But through that evaluation, they were like, maybe I'm not so happy with with where I am and with what's going on in my life. How can I add more to my life that makes it worth living? Are you finding the same thing here that people are just reevaluating where they are and, and being more intentional maybe about where they're focusing their energy and their work? Absolutely. And I think it's so interesting because I feel like I did that personally as a mother as an employee, as a business owner, I feel like I went through that great reset transformation. And as a chief people officer, I see my workforce doing that. And I see the shift in what has been important to them in the past isn't necessarily so important today. And it's really caused our entire society to shift and adapt. So it's been extremely transformational three years now, I guess it's like, how many years have we been doing this? I don't know. Black hole. <laughs> yeah. People are like, is 2020 going to come back again this year? I don't know, but it has been such a transformation, both personally and watching all of my employees do this as well, that it's it, the great resignation. I didn't really see that as a thing. I saw people really, truly evaluating what mattered to them and where they wanted to spend their time. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And then if they decided that, well, I don't want to be here and I'm exiting, it re- wasn't because they just wanted to leave. It was because they recognized that the work or the environment was not supportive of the quality of life that they wanted to live. Absolutely. It's so interesting because I compare it to when I went to move in with my now husband, mm-hmm. a girlfriend that I was talking to, she said, I want you to think about all of those things that he does that really annoy you like really get under your skin and then multiply that by a hundred because that's what it's going to be. And that's (laughs) that's what it was for people in the workforce. Like those little nuances and things that kind of got under their skin, but they were able to just kind of brush off and keep going about their day when the pandemic hit and just this great reset, they really took that into account. And they were like, you know what? I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. I'm going to try something new. I'm going to do a new adventure. And life is too short to not do the things that I think I want to do. And that's really where it all shifted. Absolutely. And my background is in HR. And I think so from the employee side, that was the response. 
from the employer side, I am so proud to see the way that, especially a lot of my clients who I've worked with, because if you don't care about your people, you're not calling Karen. We're, we're not working together. <laughs> so at the very least, the, the demographic that I have been exposed to, their response to that call for action was really needed and a long time coming. It wasn't, it was almost like this shock to our system forced their hand to do the thing that we know we should have been doing for a while, which is taking care of our people as people and not just the professionals that they are, is pouring into them, is giving them tools to thrive and the bandwidth to do so as well. What shifts did you see from an employer's standpoint that has changed the way that we're doing work? I have not met a single executive that would disagree with the statement, your family comes first. Mm-hmm. But I believe that that was a lot of lip service. You know, mm-hmm. your family comes first after me. Your family <laughs> comes first outside of work hours. And I feel like the pandemic forced that change. And now we are seeing this shift of, your family truly does come first. You know, you need to leave to go pick up your kid at three o'clock. Okay, go. No problem. I know you're going to put in some time later to finish up that project, right? Your kid's sick and you got to move some meetings around. No problem. You know, so I think that lip service truly turned into action. And I think that has been one of the biggest pieces for companies that have been successful. I think it came from the reality that we were all in that same stressor together. So empathy is strengthened when you can, you know, feel what that person is going through or even try to imagine. Sometimes you can't exactly feel it, but like we were faced with it because we were all living it together. Everybody was in the, I don't know what today looks like. You may see a baby behind me. It was just, and it was through that commonality. I think that amplified the empathy that we have with one another in the workplace now, as opposed to 2019. Absolutely. I mean, I remember in 2019 as a mom with young kids, I remember feeling like I had to lie sometimes if I had to leave early because of a kid thing or, you know, just anything that impacted my work. Right. Why, why did you feel like that at that time? I reported to a man who had a stay at home wife who handled all the kid stuff. So I reported into somebody that had absolutely no understanding of what it was like to be the head of the household you know, but also be a true business partner. Mm-hmm. He only had one lane to stay in. Mm-hmm. You know? And when he came, when he left work at five o'clock and when he came home, dinner was ready and we could rock and roll. You know, I was juggling all these different balls in the air. He had one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the pandemic hit and everybody had these glass balls in the air. Mm-hmm. You know, CEOs had kids running wild in the background of the dog barking. <laughs> And, you know, lawnmowers going off, all of those things that they could previously close the door on were then right in their face, you know? And I'm so fortunate today that the company that I work with now, like my CEO, he's got three young kids and he intentionally will have them like in the office and doing things because he wants people to see that this is okay. And it is okay for your kid to be on your lap during this one-on-one meeting that we have together. You know, we are family first and this is how we focus on and you need to do what you got to do to take care of them. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and, and as a chief people officer now, that is a big piece of how I lead my team mm-hmm. is you do whatever you got to do outside of here first, mm-hmm. family, life, whatever you need to leave to get your hair cut. You need to leave to take a kid to the doctor. You go handle your business and we'll be here when you get back. And that has created such a stronger team. It is a team that trusts each other, that leans on each other, and that also gets everything done. Yes, because you have permission to do what you need to because you're trusted, because you're valued. And then you don't have the stress of what if, how's that going to be perceived? And and that just, that debilitates us even more. It drains us. It distracts us. <laughs> what other D words can I come up with? <laughs> you know, but like truly. It, it, it but is- to take it back to me lying, feeling like I had to lie. I just felt this constant turmoil. I felt uncomfortable. I felt like I would be found out. I felt like I wasn't good enough. Like I couldn't climb the corporate ladder. Like it was just such this, for lack of better words, icky feeling yeah. that nobody should have to feel. I shouldn't, nobody should have to feel as if they have to, you know, lie about their family life and their children so that they can manage work or lie about work so that they can manage their children. It creates such a disconnect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The internal tension is real and, and will definitely create more problems. So I love how, you know, this is, this is everywhere you are. You say you help people break out of their sticky floors and bust through the glass ceiling. I know you have a passion to help women do this, but Hey, men get stuck too, right? So we get that. I think the sticky floor that's common though for women is the responsibilities that they also hold at home. And I'm curious for you, what was the sticky floor that kept you stuck? Was it that, or is it something else? Oh God, all the sticky (laughs) floors. You know, I will tell you what has been so interesting is I have my own podcast from now to next. And as I talked with women about their sticky floors, I was sitting there connecting with every single one of them going, Oh my God, me too. Me too. And then I was like, wow, Erica, you're messed up. Like you got all these problems, (laughs) but it's been such a joy because I can see these pieces of me reflected in other women. And it makes me realize that I'm not alone. And I mean, I've had several sticky floors, one of them for sure being imposter syndrome, right? Being one of the youngest C-suite members on my team, one of the newest executives on my team. That was a really challenging thing to work through. But for me, honestly, the stickiest of the floors that I went through was wine and mommy wine culture, right? We talked about the pandemic. And when that hit is when I took on my job in the C-suite and all of that and the pressure of COVID and being a working mom and an executive and having my kids home and not knowing what was going to happen next and not having all of my normal resources and outlets, I used wine, right? And I don't think that that's uncommon, especially among other women. And before I knew it, I, I needed no reason or excuse to drink. Right. And I was still getting everything done. So it didn't seem like a problem to me, but it wasn't until I realized that it was holding me back, right. That I was drinking to connect with other people, but I was isolating myself right? Mm -hmm. That I was drinking to sleep, but it was disrupting my sleep. So all of these things that I thought it was doing for me, it wasn't doing for me. (laughs) It was, it wasn't helping at all. And the brain fog, oh my God. Mm -hmm. So I made the decision to actually give it up and to quit and walk away from it. And I said, it's no longer serving me. 
And that was, that was honestly my stickiest of floors. Mm. And what was the transition getting unstuck? What did that look like? Oh gosh, support from my husband to say, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, it had become such an easy thing to do and such a habit and a pattern and routine to fall into. So, you know, telling him I didn't want to do it anymore. Telling my mother who used to be my wine buddy 101 that I didn't want to do it anymore. And then talking with a therapist, honestly, like working with her through why, why do you think you do this? Right. You do it to celebrate, you do it to grieve, you do it because you're stressed, you do it because you're happy. And it just became such this habit in my life that it wasn't serving me in any shape or form. Mm. Um, so it, it really was the process. And I, this is where the neuroplasticity comes in for me, right? Because I had so ingrained in my head that those were the reasons to drink, right? If I'm celebrating, I'm drinking. If I'm grieving, I'm drinking. If I'm stressed, I'm drinking, that I had to change what that response was, right? So I had to say, okay, I'm stressed today. It was a really hard day at work. I'm going to take a walk instead. I'm gonna read a book. I'm gonna take 10 minutes to sit quietly by myself, which is not something that any mom in COVID gets, right? <laughs> so find I had the nearest to- closet. <laughs> Right. Find the nearest closet, lock yourself inside. But I had to really kind of rewire my brain Mm -hmm. to prove to myself otherwise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the power of a pattern. You know, it's like for me after every dinner, there's dessert. Every dinner is not complete unless there's dessert. But like, also, I know I probably shouldn't be having a baked good after every single one, (laughs) but, but that's a pattern. It's very, it's, and then it becomes one of those things, okay, well, what's a different choice that I'm going to make? But part of this experience of growth is also understanding that it's going to be chapters in different seasons of unlearning. Like, yeah, we want the good stuff, but it's because we're replacing those things that we don't want. And those don't just fall off, you know, because again, the pattern has power. And if your pattern is not a good one. Well, you're going to have to create a new one. And then by creating the new pattern, that old neural pathway will then start to weaken and so on and so forth. But wow, I mean, especially in the midst of COVID COVID, at a heightened state of stress, I applaud you, friend. I I applaud you. That is one powerful pattern to break. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll tell you, it's so interesting how they show up in different ways, right? I never would have pinned myself as a perfectionist either. I pinned myself as a fitness fanatic. I love to hang my hat on there. I love to run marathons and do all of these things. But I had this mindset that if you weren't getting 30 minutes of cardio followed by your strength training, like it, it wasn't worth it. Mm -hmm. And and I come from a background in fitness. I was a health and wellness coordinator for almost eight years. All I did was teach yogas and boot camps and run. And COVID hit, things changed, but health and wellness was still a very big piece of me. And my husband would come up to our home gym and he'd be like, I've got 15 minutes. I got to get it in. And I was like, well, that's ridiculous. You're not getting anything done, you know? And then three days would go by and he would have 45 minutes in and I'd have nothing. Mm. You know, and, and it wasn't until I kind of sat down and I, it dawned on me that he was getting in way more exercise than I was. And I'm the fitness fanatic. He's not. And I had to evaluate, is that even true? You know, so mm-hmm. when I work with my 
women who are in my executive coaching programs, I always ask them, first of all, they have to be able to name their sticky floor. So in that instance, I named it as perfectionism. Then my second step is always questioning it. And so is this true? Is this helpful? What's the worst that could happen? Right? So with working out, is it true that zero minutes is better than 15? No. <laughs> is it helpful? Also, no. Mm-hmm. You know, those. And then the third aspect is shifting the mindset. So I had to really look at it differently. Like Erica, you can't get in 30 minutes, but you can get in 15. Mm-hmm. Some movement is better than none. Right. And because I did so many years of this exact, you know, 30 minutes of cardio, 30 minutes of strength, there are still days when I look at my clock and I'm like, oh, I don't have this whole hour. So, and then I'm like, nope, nope, stop yourself. Some's better than none. <laughs> Rewind. And there, yeah, there are things that I have to do so that I'm not so focused on this parameter that I created myself. Mm. So I do different things. I will force myself to get out and do a walk, right? Mm. I will do 15 minutes if that's all I have. And then I also don't wear my Apple watch after work anymore, which that used to be a huge trigger for me was like, oh, I don't have all the calories in my Apple watch ring. I've got to go, go, go. And I would march by my bed so that I could close the rings. That isn't doing anything. (laughs) That's a bit ridiculous. So so now I take it off and I just don't worry about it. So you have to look for those little ways that you can shift how you're viewing something and change the pattern. Mm, yes. It's not going to be one big grand gesture. It's going to be a little bit over the time. So wait, so am I hearing you right? Are you a recovering perfectionist? Like I am. <laughs> I am in recovery. Yes. I'm in recovery too. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an everyday thing. And that's, that's what it is, is people will ask me all the time. Like, are we ever unstuck from these sticky floors? And the answer is no. We are just more aware of them. And when you have that awareness, you can make more effective choices. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, I I joke about being a recovery perfectionist, but man, it's true because it is absolutely a sticky floor. It will hold you back from making progress, right? As you just mentioned, oh, I can't get the whole hour, but dang, can I get 15 minutes in? Like maybe I should take that. It's also, maybe I don't have the whole uh, course or program built out. Do I have the curriculum? Like, do I have an idea? Can I start to test this with a beta group? Like where's, I will tell you one of the best things that helped me as a recovering perfectionist is letting things go when I know that I did my best, right? So for example, uh, I send out a weekly newsletter and this weekly newsletter is sometimes a blog. Sometimes it's just a, hey, you should check this, this thing out. And I would obsess over making sure every punctuation, every you know space was definitely, it was like every detail had to be perfect. So then this one week, uh, there was something that was missed and I was so devastated by it. I was like, I can't believe I did it. And I stopped him. I was like, wait a minute. Did you do your best? Did you do your best? Okay, it wasn't perfect. But you hit send knowing that that was your best. Okay, you proofread it six times and something still slipped through the cracks. And it was in the moment when I was beating myself up and being so critical that I could find my way out. And I was like, oh, this is what it looks like to be in recovery. Yeah, (laughs) it's not it's not that. You know, I don't feel that sensation of like, oh, I, you know, I, I am still critical in many ways because my aim is excellence, right? I'm just trying to do the best that I can. But there will always be moments that pop up that I like to say it tests your growth. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, other than this 
fitness area of going through. Yeah. <laughs> what other strategies are you using to maybe unlearn some of the perfectionist tendencies? Because I, I do think that that's a recurring theme for women, especially in our professional path. Certainly in our parenting, we're like, I'm going to be the perfect parent, conscious parenting, gentle parenting, all that good stuff. But when it comes to our professional path, trying to do things perfectly is stifling our growth. So from your experience, what are some strategies that you've used to get that perfectionism out of the way and keep it in check? So professionally, a lot of it is done is better than perfect. And in my world as an executive, I will net the day will never end. My checklist will never be done. That's just the life of an executive and someone in human resources, right? There's always going to be things coming in and things to do. And so working through the mentality that you kind of talked about, if I have done the best today, this is what I have gotten done and being able to close the computer and walk away, which has been a, you know, a progress (laughs) journey that I've been on, especially now that I work from home completely, it's right here. I can always come That was a big change, but learning sometimes that done is perfect, right? And that I could sit on this until it was perfect, but what is perfect? You know, and, and I realized that I was creating these parameters for myself. Nobody else set these perfect expectations, but me. Mm -hmm. So realizing that I could go outside of those expectations, then that was checked off my list because that was check and done. And I could go on to the next thing, right? Personally, it's been really a journey. And even last night, I'll even tell you about last night. So my son is in second grade. He has homework every night. We are responsible for checking his said homework. I had to take my youngest to swim lessons. So I looked at my husband and I said, I'm going to need you to do his homework, check his homework. Yes. Got it. Okay, great. I come home. Homework's not done. You need to do homework. (laughs) So we go through this whole, you know, thing. And guess who ended up doing the homework because I didn't think you did it right. Me. Right. So that was a a moment of failure. And it was interesting because I caught myself in the moment and I knew I was doing it, but I was like, I'm still going to do it. (laughs) So Sometimes we fail, you know, sometimes we fail, but I said to myself after the fact, I said, I did not do him any favors, him being my husband. I did not give him the moment to learn how he is supposed to check this homework and do this homework. And I travel for work. I go out with girlfriends. There are plenty of nights where I am not there to step in. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had this little moment to myself where I had a little coming to Jesus. And I said, I didn't empower him to do the homework. I took it over from him. And he, of course, is going to let me do that. (laughs) But I didn't empower him to learn how to do it. So now next time when I'm out of town, he's not going to know how to do it. Mm. And he's going to be calling me and I'm going to be out to dinner and I'm going to be annoyed. You know, Mm. so this whole Mm. thing said, I kind of had this learning moment. Okay, I need him to do this more often when I am home, even though I like to have control over that. Mm -hmm. So that he knows how to do it. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, we're going to break this down a little bit because when you said the word control, that used to really make me upset. It's always like, oh, you're trying, because it has this negative connotation with it, but I had to really evaluate myself. Right. And let me just tell you, when you're building awareness on this growth journey, you can't just turn it off. No, it's on all the time now. Like you cannot turn it off. And so for me, 
My desire for control that paired up with my perfectionism was because I was trying to get ahead of any pain. Uh I was trying to get ahead of having to do it twice. I was trying to do it perfectly now so I wouldn't waste time or energy later. So it was almost like, no, 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 this is, I should be trying to control as much as possible because to control means that I am keeping the peace, that I'm keeping things easy and smooth when really that is not the case like in any way, shape or form. What I eventually realized was trying to control anything outside of myself is only creating unrealistic expectations for the other people involved. And then if I turn it on myself, as you mentioned earlier, sometimes it's setting myself up with unfair expectations that are unnecessary as well. So having to reframe my brain on what control meant and what perfectionism meant was a huge growth opportunity for myself. The thing about control as well is the reason that we do it is because we have a desired outcome in mind. And if you take this homework example with my son, Like any mother, I want him to make good grades. I want him to do well in school. I want him to excel, but I can't do that for him. You know, so the way I quote unquote control it is by checking his homework and making sure it's right. And, you know, I'm the only one who knows how to exactly check it, but that isn't doing him any favors. Right. So it's understanding the desired outcome And recognizing if you even really need to be that involved, Mm. you know, for example, going back to fitness, I control how I feel when I'm running long distance races because I control the fact that I train for them. That's fine. That is inside the little bubble of Erica Rooney. (laughs) But for my son, I don't control that. And I don't need to, because I'm taking away the life lessons that he needs to learn at an age where, you know what, if he bombs reading in second grade, there's not going to be a ton of bad things that happen from that. (laughs) But if I constantly control his world and his life in that realm, one day when he finds himself in corporate and there is no Erica Rooney control, he's going to be in a lot of trouble. Exactly. Because all of that helps them to develop their skills. If we look back at our life, we could see the skills that were developed in hard times, the grit that was developed, right? All of those uh, human and heart skills that are actually strengthened when we're faced with adversity. So I I hear you, sister, because I'm on the same parenting path. My son is a preteen. And there are times where I'm like, man, you know, I see this and I want the best for you. And and I'm trying to protect you or I'm trying to help you through this. And I'm like, nope, you just got to put your hands up, let him figure it out. He'll bump his knee, he'll figure it out along the way, and he'll be stronger and better because of it. Yes, but understanding where your little control bubble lives and where Mm -hmm. their control bubble lives and how you need to stay away from it sometimes, Mm -hmm. that has helped me, you know, you know, I failed at it yesterday, but you know, we'll try again today. There you go. There we go. (laughs) And failure is just an opportunity to learn, isn't it? (laughs) There we go. I'm going to try again today. I'll let you know how it turns out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that failure is one area for us to learn. Also learning from our fears and the things that hold us back, you know, speaking of sticky floors and, and even noticing those glass ceilings that can, can hold us back, but maybe, you know, do they? No, it's really our fear. I'm interested 
were there any specific fears? I know you mentioned imposter syndrome, but maybe it's going deeper into that topic of what specific fears did you have to overcome so that you could unlock this potential of, oh, I can do this for myself and now I can help other women do it as well. I have an unrational fear of what others will think of me. And I recognize that, but I see it and it does hold me back. I will either do something or not do something based on what I think other people will think of me for. Do you know so where that came from? I am doing the work, you know, <laughs> doing the work, but it's, it's this, this wanting to be liked, this needing to be liked. And I came from a divorce family where I felt like I had to very much people please on both sides of this seesaw, you know, and that was a very challenging aspect as a child to please both parents when they don't like each other. Mm -hmm. And so I think it stems from that wanting to make everybody happy and copacetic around me, but it does me no favors in, in today's world. You know, it's when I wanted to start my podcast, I literally sat on that idea for six months, but I was so worried that people would say, what is she doing? She doesn't know how to do this. Who's going to listen to her that I just didn't talk about it. And one of my core values that I really try to live by daily is courage. And I ask myself, is this the courageous thing to do? Have the hard conversation, take the action, whatever that may be. And when I finally had that little light bulb aha moment, and I asked myself, Erica, you have literally been bouncing this idea of a podcast inside your brain for six months and you're doing nothing about it, but it keeps showing up. Are you doing the courageous thing? And I recognized that no, I wasn't. So then I took that next step to kind of force me forward. And I emailed what I like to call my board of directors, which is this group of women that support me always, no matter what. And I said, here's what I want to do. Here's how I need your support. Let me know your thoughts. And do you think one of them said, oh, what are you doing that for? <laughs> Absolutely not. You know, and once I sent that email, the rest kind of fell into place. I don't want to say it was easy because it wasn't easy, but it was a lot easier because I had overcome that mountain of, I'm so scared what other people will think of me. Right. Right. Oh my gosh. The stories in our head. It's ridiculous. That's a, sticky floor. That's a big sticky floor. Well, and here's the deal. Guess what? There's a bajillion people in this world. I guarantee you there are people that listen to my podcast and think it's awful. I guarantee you that there are people out there who are like, what is she doing? But guess what? Like, I am not a buffet. I am not here to serve everybody. Mm. And that's okay. Mm. <laughs> that is okay. I don't like everybody's podcast. Why do I expect everyone else to like my podcast? Right, right. Well, so if I heard you correctly, then the thing that you did to unlock and get unstuck to unlock your fear and to get unstuck is to take action. Yeah. Always take action. Mm. But what if the fear is holding you back from action? What is that push? Like what, how do you break out of that thought cycle? That's where I try to shift it. And so with myself in this podcast, I sat down and I was like, what's the worst that could happen here? Mm. I waste a bit of my time, maybe some financial resources, and I don't know, maybe a few people laugh at me. I don't know. That that was the worst that I could come up with. And I was like, okay, so then I quit. Then I don't do it anymore. But at least I will have tried it. I will have quieted the voice inside my head that keeps bringing up this idea of a podcast. And I can move on. You know, I can decide 
I can then decide if it is for me or not for me. Yes. But yes. when you are sitting there in that position of not doing anything, mm-hmm. you you are literally going nowhere. I cannot get better at something if I haven't started something. Yes. I actually had a guest <laughs> on Ryan Leak who said they said you can't get better he if said you don't it get the started. other day. And that's where I snagged it from my boy Ryan. He literally said, You cannot get better at writing a book if you don't have a chapter written. And I was like, Amen. There you go. Right there. You can't get better at something if you don't start. Yes, you have to get started. Now, and part of the journey, though, is knowing what is for you. Like trying to do everything is, I have found, because I did that before, it was just a waste of energy. You know, there was no focused energy that would then create that fruit. And so I started to sharpen my intuition, which was already kind of happening, but I would do it more so on the business side of it. And I think that that's, that is definitely a skill to start to notice because guess what? This is your show. This is your story. This is your journey. So you're the only person who's going to say if something is right for you or not. And to your point, Maybe you do try something and it's not right for you, but at least you tried. At least you tried. Do you rely a lot on your intuition as you're navigating, like, what would be best for me as an executive, for my team, as a business owner, you know, as a, as a thought leader? How much do you rely on your intuition to lean into those moments when you know, like, ah, this is something that I need to, to, I need to pay attention to this? I absolutely rely on my intuition when I look back for a lot of the big life changes. Mm -hmm. So when I shifted from fitness into HR, I knew that I could no longer stay in fitness. Like I had reached a point in my fitness career that I was at the top of my game, but there was no more room for growth. I didn't know what I was supposed to do or where I was supposed to go. And if you had told me I would have been a chief people officer, I would have told you to take a hike. (laughs) But, you know, I knew that I needed to get out. And so I listen to describe a little more that feeling of knowing it is this feeling of almost like unsettling because it's a feeling like, yes, I knew that I needed to get out, but I didn't know what was ahead of me. Mm-hmm. So while I knew that I needed to move, I didn't know in what direction, mm-hmm. but it all goes down to action, right? I could have just been like, well, I don't, nobody's told me what to do. So I'm just going to sit here and wait around. And I could have done that. Mm-hmm. And my life would have been great. It would have been fine. But I started doing a million different things to try to figure out what that path was. Mm-hmm. And so I do believe in intuition. I believe that your gut and your mind know when it is time to do something or take an action or make a change. But I also am a huge proponent in listening to those around you who have done it, Mm -hmm. you know, talk to them, hear their stories, hear their journeys, open up your mind to the possibilities and their knowledge, Mm -hmm. and then let your intuition guide you a little bit further. Yes. Learn from them. Absolutely. So I'm a a huge believer in having like your own personal board of directors, Mm -hmm. you know, to help support you that those are the women that I emailed to say, I'm doing this thing and reach out to those people to help guide you because they are the people that know you best too. And when you are struggling with making that decision or the change is when you can reach out to the, to your board of directors and they can tell you, I don't know what you're thinking. Like you need to be 
looking at that or, you know, you're playing small. You were not meant to play small. You're meant to do this. And they're there to check you. And we all need our people to check us. Yes. Yes. Oh, I love that. And it plays so much into like the more that you develop this relationship with yourself and you strengthen that intuition, you're going to know when you're stuck or where you're butting up a gla- against a glass ceiling, you're going to know when you need to change directions or, you know, relocate maybe even to a different place that you don't have to face that, or you will be able to break whatever it looks like. It's just, I think this is such a vital part of us really creating a life that we love to live and doing work that we love to do. It's going inward and reconnecting with ourselves to figure out like, okay, well, what is it that I want? Or what is keeping me stuck? Or what do I need to unlearn or learn a different way? And do you have any advice for somebody who maybe is at that point? They are recognizing, okay, something is going on. What would you say would be the first one or two steps for them to start taking their life in the direction that that they desire? The first step is not to ignore the feeling. Because I think it is so easy to push it, especially if you're in a comfortable situation to push it down and just be like, nope, everything's great. But that feeling is going to keep bubbling up and it's going to get you there, you know? And when I was not sure where I wanted to go next, you know, with my whole life, right? I'm a chief people officer. I'm in my thirties. Where do you go from there? You know, I was like, I can't go any higher in HR. And I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do I just started throwing things at the wall to see what would stick. And I landed on executive coaching, took this whole course and certification, started working with women and talking to them and training with them. And the it was just so amazing because I would have these sessions with women that I used to never think I could do. And I would leave so lit up, so just joyful. And my cup was filled and I was excited and happy and just telling my husband all these amazing things. Don't ignore those signals, right? Those are the the things that will guide you and will show you that you're on the right path. Because I very well could be a chief people officer for the end of my days Mm -hmm. and be perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. But I know how I feel after I coach women and after I help them overcome obstacles and get out of their sticky floors. And I can lean into that. And live a life that right now I can't even imagine yet. Or I can just stay small and stay comfortable and ignore that feeling. Mm -hmm. So my very first step would be don't ignore the feelings. Don't ignore the feelings of uncomfortableness. And don't ignore those things that really light you up inside. Mm -hmm. And then my second step would be to do what I said earlier. Just throw things at the wall to see what sticks. Mm -hmm. Because there is no clear path. It is not lit up for us, but there are those who have walked the path ahead of us, multiple different paths, talk to them, get knowledge, try it out. Don't be scared to jump across to a different path. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Eventually you'll land on the road that was meant for you. 
And I'm so glad that you said that because sometimes when we know that we need a change, as you mentioned earlier, you just didn't know like what direction to go. It's just because you haven't experienced it yet. It's not in your field of knowing, right? And so that's why getting that experience or even talking to your board of directors, like, hey, where where do you, what strengths do you see in me? What do you think is my professional superpower? How do I help you? What do you, or any of those things. I mean, it just helps you to really find maybe that thing that's calling you that you just haven't experienced yet. This world and this life is so spacious. <laughs> it is limitless with possibilities. And the only thing that limits us is ourselves, is ourselves. So I love how you say that. Like, just try because you never know what you're going to stumble on that could be that thing that's calling you. Absolutely. And it is such a joy to be able to connect with people who do know you because they can shine the light on you for what you can't see the pieces that you can't see yet. You know, I think it's so hard to really understand what kind of an impact you are leaving on others. So when you reach out and you ask, they can show you. Yes. Oh, that is so important. Well, before we close, I'm interested since you've been on this journey of self-discovery and you have found that you are not just multi-passionate, but multi-talented. You can help in fitness. You can help in corporate. Listen, Erica, you can do it all. You can do it all. You can be helping second grade. (laughs) (laughs) I am curious. What do you think is your professional superpower? Connecting, connecting with people. And that has always been my superpower. It is only in looking back that I can see that. You know, I was able to connect with people in in fitness and wellness and make changes in their lives. Mm -hmm. And then I was able to connect with people in HR and help them up the career path and out of sticky situations. And, you know, now my work as an executive coach, it's all about connecting with people to help them elevate themselves. Yes. I love that. And I, I see that in the work that you're doing. I am so glad that you were able to break out of all the sticky floors, the multiple sticky floors, uh, and that you are sharing this knowledge with others. I know without a doubt is going to help so, so many. Erica, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. If people want to connect with you, where can they find you? Oh, absolutely. If you want to hear more about my sticky floors, you can always listen to my podcast from now to next, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And then you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I love connecting with people who said, hey, I heard you on Karen's podcast. Just send me a message. I'll be happy to chat. Oh, wonderful. All right. Well, you heard it here first. Connect with Erica Rooney. Make sure you go check out her show. And again, as always from our community, Erica, thank you so much for spending time with us. Well, thank you. This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcasts.